is James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. No! Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Chris Honeywell. Hey! And this is Star Trek Monthly Mondays number 16. God. 16, man. Eight more of these and we'll be doing this shit for two years. Yeah. That's crazy talk. Well, that is this eight is months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, this is also... Episode 99. 99. 99. That's, wow. I mean, I don't know. That just blows my mind. It really does. So what are we, what are we going to do? We're going to have to come up with something epic. Yeah, that's true for 100. Shit, we don't have much time. Oh, well, we'll throw something epic together. Yeah. That's what we do. What do you want to do? We could do just about anything. They don't care. They consume <laughs> it mindlessly. <laughs> They're the perfect audience. It'll be the t- <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. We should do the two true freaks equivalent of the the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> there you go. I like that idea. <laughs> we'll have Jefferson Starship. We'll have Mala oh. in an apron. Har- is Harvey They're- Corman still alive? B. Arthur I, is dead. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he is. But you know, I don't know that for sure. He's, he's one of those celebrities that he'll end up dying here within like a couple months. And I'll be like, shit, I thought that dude was dead 20 years ago, yeah. you know? So I don't, I really don't, I got nothing. I don't know. Yeah. What I do got, though, I got a quick review. Now, you guys may remember if you listen to all of our shows, and if you don't, why, why not? But um, last week in our Star Wars Monthly Monday episode, I mentioned that I would be doing a review of a Star Wars property on this episode, which is Star Trek. And people are probably like, you can't do that. What it is, though, is I'm going to do a quick comparison review. Just for shits and giggles, um, a while back, a couple months ago, when I placed my latest uh, comic book order with, uh, with Heroes Corner, 
By the way, if you have not checked out Heroes Corner, check them out. They are a great business. I really like them. They're not paying me or giving me shit to say that. I'm saying it because I really like their service. They're a bunch of, they're a great bunch of guys. They really take good care of me. Anyway, just for shits and giggles, I got to thinking, you know, we do a monthly Star Wars podcast. We do a monthly Star Trek podcast. I had never really seriously taken a look at the magazines, the official magazines for either Star Wars or Star Trek. And I had a little bit of wiggle room in my in my monthly comic budget, having dropped most every damn thing that Marvel and DC are putting out lately. So I thought, what the hell, I'm going to check them out. And it just so happened at the time that I had this wild hair up my ass that the official Star Trek magazine's feature article for that particular month was celebrating this according to the cover this is what it says celebrating 30 years of star trek the motion picture my favorite star trek movie so i got this you know in the mail along with the official star wars magazine sat down read them both back to back and i'm going to be short but sweet on this wow and regarding the star trek one what a fucking waste of my money this was oh. nothing that you could not find online anywhere on a million fucking podcasts. So it was just slapped together. It was no, it wasn't so much slapped together. It's it's a very nice magazine as far as it's got beautiful glossy pictures. It's very flashy. But here's my problem with it. It does have a lot I mean, the majority of the issue is devoted to Star Trek the motion picture. The rest of the magazine is devoted to being a cheering squad for the J.J. Abrams Star Trek feature. And then there's a couple just mostly advertisements of different things filling the rest of the magazine. It says on the cover, celebrating 30 years of Star Trek The Motion Picture. This is the official Star Trek magazine. They don't celebrate this movie at all in this book. In, in any article in here is the movie Celebrated. It's another hit piece, just like you can find anywhere on the internet, talking about all the problems with this movie and why it sucks and why nobody likes it and why it's the worst one and it was a failed experiment and blah, blah, blah. It's all the same shit I've heard for the last 30 years. And it really disappointed me. I mean, the, the only shining moment in the whole thing was there was a nice short little blurb i'm not even sure what you would call it it's just a little commentary i guess you could call from christopher l bennett who was the author of that star trek book i reviewed a while back called ex machina and even his article kind of the way it wraps up it was you know it starts out very good where where he's talking about the movie in a very positive light because he says in the opener to that novel that that's his favorite movie and why he set his novel as basically a sequel to the movie. And he's, he makes some great points. He makes our standard comparison about, you know, Star Wars, and that's why the, the, the Star Trek franchise, the movie franchise, changed after the motion picture to reflect more of the Star Wars popularity and all that. He makes right. some great points. It's very interesting. But then he wraps the whole thing up as almost like an apology for liking the movie. And it kind of takes the teeth out of his article. It, it kind of brings him in line with the rest of the magazine, which is very, very down on the movie. Just not what I was looking for at all. I mean, 
I realize I'm fully aware that this movie is not held in high regard. I, I'm fully aware that, you know, there there really are not very many even diehard Star Trek fans that think a whole hell of a lot of the motion picture. But Jesus Christ, you know, this was supposedly a celebration of the movie, and I, I just think it's the farthest thing from it. Besides that... You wouldn't have your J.J. Abrams if it wasn't for Star Trek The Motion Picture. Absolutely. Absolutely. But besides that, taking the Star Trek The Motion Picture stuff, you know, aside, the rest of this magazine, just it's just not worth the money. I mean, there's a lot of advertisements... And even some of the art, you know, so-called articles in here about, you know, here's what's happening in the world of comics. Here's what's happening in the world of books, you know, for Star Trek and all these other things. Well, I'm sure they, they just gloss over the very surface of everything, basically. Right. You know what they feel like? They feel like solicits that you would read in previews magazine. That's probably, they that's more like or less there. Yeah. They're, they're, they're probably written from from press releases. They're probably cut and pasted from press releases with just enough to make it sound like the author's own copy, if even that. <laughs> from I'm telling you, from years of being in a band, if you wanted like the paper to say anything about you, you just when you send them a press release of your show, you'd send them a piece of paper saying what you wanted them to basically say about the band, and 90% of the time. They're so lazy, they just cut and paste it and put it in there. So, you know, hey, it saves them time. They don't have to think of anything to write. So, yeah, I think those magazines are literally made to be put by the crapper and are, like, made to be consumed in one or two or three dumps, depending on your well, dump here's time. Here's the thing, though, is and this is why I wanted to do this as more as a comparison, because the Star Wars one, Star Wars Insider, was... It's incredibly similar in layout, except it's fucking awesome. It does everything right that the Star Trek magazine does wrong. There's interview creator, or excuse me, creator interviews that are very, very interesting. Tons of pictures. What I really liked was there's there's nice little like uh, there's a section on Clone Wars Easter eggs. There's there's little trivia bits in there that. You know, for guys like us, really pride ourselves on our Star Trek, or excuse me, Star Wars or Star Trek knowledge, you know, our geekdom, our fandom, our love for it. I like things like this that challenge you and go, oh, so you think you know Star Wars, huh? Well, did you know this? And there's tons of articles like that in this book. There's little teasers for what's coming up on Clone Wars, a great section. This is really why I bought this magazine. There's a great article in here that's that's part one of a of a ongoing feature they're going to have talking about uh the rise of the dark horse star wars saga and i was really interested to read about that because i haven't read a lot of that stuff so i wanted to know what they had to say about it there's articles about new video games that are coming out there's uh different things focusing on just trivia and interesting facts about the universe look at it this way there's more new star wars stuff coming out Star Trek basically has the new movie to work on yeah. now. You and know, Star Wars that... has all kinds of things going. So video games and TV shows and books. I and... thought of that, but you know, even even so, even taking that into account, this is simply just more it's more friendly 
in the way it's presented. It's much more embracing of the fan and the fan mentality. This magazine understands the Star Wars fan, whereas the Star Trek one, it, it comes off more like a, like Time magazine. It right. doesn't feel friendly when you look at it. It's more like a presentation of a bunch of articles. Maybe they're hoping Wait. since the new movie came out, maybe they're thinking since the new movie came out, their audience is going to be more... <clears throat> Uninformed, you know, is going to be the neophyte now. So they're going to come in. That's and, possible. And just That's be picking possible. up all this stuff for the first time and don't know how to get it off the internet and all that. So it might be responding to a new audience where, as the Star Wars is responding to somebody who already knows a lot of stuff, so it has to give them something right. new. So you but, might uh, have to dig deeper into like Star Trek fanzines if they even make that stuff anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I doubt it. They're probably yeah, being quashed. Yeah, there's no reason you know? for it. There's no reason for yeah. it with the internet. You, you know, a, yeah. a good a good forum on the internet replaces any fanzine. Well, I would like to hear from listeners if we have anybody out there who's you know a, a faithful subscriber, actually to either one, either one of these magazines. I'd I'd like to get your thoughts and opinions, especially you know if if you're into the Star Trek magazine. You know, if you're a subscriber or reader or whatever, especially long time, and you really dig it and you really like it and you think I've totally missed something, definitely, you know, write in, let me know. I'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts on it. Yeah, Maybe yeah. this was just a particularly poor issue. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. I was really bummed out by it. But, uh... uh don't get bummed <laughs> out, man. <laughs> Getting, it's uh, just a magazine, man. Just put it by your shitter, read it, and you can be done with it just like just like the stuff you flush down ew well do we need to take a break or are we ready to jump right into uh, our episode I say it's time to go back in time to the future of the 60s with Star Trek the original series sweet Star Trek, the game. A game so challenging, you need this combat control panel to play it. Launch photons, fire your phasers, engage warp speed, blast Klingons and alien saucers on your way to the ultimate enemy, Nomad. Is it the most challenging game in the galaxy? It's inhuman. Star Trek from Sega. Get a free Star Trek poster when you play Sega's Star Trek at any Musicland store. Aliens, you shall be punished. You, Captain Kirk, yours shall be the pattern of your death. <laughs> I'm not Ike Clinton. Well, I'm glad to meet you. Mr. Kirk. You've got until five tonight to get your horse-stealing scurvy crew out of town. The Earps will kill the Clantons at the O.K. Corral at five o'clock. We are the Clantons. At one minute past five, you'll find a hole in your head right from this gun. Really? <laughs> We're not going to move from this spot. Shadows, illusions, nothing but ghosts. 
Alright, we're back, and it's, uh, this time, it's Spectre of the Gun. And, uh, this time we find the Enterprise crew are trying to make contact with, uh, the beings, the Malkotians, to, uh, see if they want to join the Federation. And the Malkotians respond by, you know, beaming Kirk and crew down to the planet, which is obviously like a dry ice giant, and acting out a whole sort of morality play using the whole gunfight at the OK Corral with Kirk and crew as the losing end of that gunfight. So we get to see the uh, the Enterprise crew cast in an Old West sort of morality play. And um, mm-hmm. and that's about it for, for that, that story. Without giving... We'll, we'll, we'll get to the end, how it ends in the story. But that's, that's the setup for it. Yep. Now, now I, I always looked at this episode as sort of... It, it almost reminds me of an episode of The Twilight Zone. Yes. On a, on a che- That's it's one a, of my notes. <laughs> it's, on a, it's, a, it's on a cheap... You know, it's a cheap one. It's a cheapo. It's on a soundstage. Since this is... Um, you know, they, they find themselves in the OK Corral and... It looks like a cheap set, and the, you know they immediately comment on that and get that out of the way, so you don't, so you realize that they do realize that you know it looks like a Universal soundstage or a Paramount soundstage, I should I should say, at right. that point. But um, you know that you know they start putting together, you know, as people start referring them to them as their as their gang names, <laughs> rather than their and seeing them as different people, they start realizing what's going to happen. And since, you know, Spock has his photographic memory of history, they pretty much know what's going to go down in Do the whole thing. Do you buy that? No, but it's, 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 that's something that happens. Because uh, well, I buy Spock knowing it more because, right. okay, Spock could be more... He's half-human, so okay, so he could be really interested in human history since it's his own history, in a sense. All right, I'll give you that one, so, okay. Because my, my point was going to be that they're yeah. in a federation of planets. How much... I mean, but you know, he'd have to be a, a computer to remember, you know, shit from hundreds of years well, ago. Well, here's but I'll the thing. That it's his own culture, so maybe that's why. I'll, I'll grant you that. You can give me that, but I can erode my own argument by saying there's plenty of times in other episodes where Spock will cite you know the ancient history of a civilization that they're that right. they're visiting or something as if he knows. Well also there'll be other times where they'll actually go back in time to you know 1986 or something and they, they'll be completely out of their fucking element yet when they're in the old west they know exactly who lived and who died at the OK Crown. It's like, right. all right, guys, let's be a little more consistent here, you know. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to sound overly critical because you know what? I was shocked to find out that I really I enjoyed did too. this episode because I remembered this being one of the shit episodes, and you know, it's really not. And I'm, I'm wondering now if the reason I thought so was because of my long-standing prejudice against TV westerns when I was a kid cuz my dad watched all Gunsmoke of them. and Gunsmoke and all of them and I didn't like any of them as a kid and so I think when I whenever this one would come up in the rotation on on TV 
I would just be like, oh, uh, God. Because yeah. it, it does feel a lot like every other Western that was on TV. But the awesome thing about it, and I'm so glad you, you caught this, too, was the Twilight Zone quality of it. Because the fact that a lot of the buildings didn't have walls, yet shit was still on the invisible wall, like signs and stuff. That's cool. That looks, it's creepy looking. Because like when, when McCoy goes into Doc Holliday's office and is asking to buy those supplies and everything, yeah. the sign that's behind the, what is he, a barber or some shit? Right. It's just hanging there in midair like it's on a wall, but there is no wall. Yeah. And then the, the clock that they keep seeing throughout the episode that's reminding them that Salvador Dali style. Yeah. I, I, I like that it works really well. And I don't know why I never really... That never really made an impression on upon me as a kid or anything, but wow, it really worked in this episode because I, it's creepy. It's it's funny that that didn't uh-huh. come up as one of our creepy things and our you know the stuff that scared us as kids. It's uh, because episode. this isn't one that springs to our mind as a Star Trek episode that springs to our mind as one of our favorites. But I really like this episode now. There, you know, there's there's I mean the the thing about it is any cheesiness in it can get written off immediately as the Malkosian's misunderstanding of, you know, or just putting together a spotty version of it. But I don't think they really put together a spotty version of it. They just put together enough reality to see how the Enterprise crew would react. And it's funny because here we go with another synchronicity with, maybe it's because they're both Star Trek, but the Next Generation episode that we're getting to is another sort of alien test Right, um, you know, theme, and this is the Malkotians are seeing, you know, if the if if the humans can get past violence in a situation, or you know, avoid their human stereotypes in this situation, which is a typical Star Trek theme. This this episode is very typical, and this is a third season show, so. You know, by this time, that theme had been done many times before. But I just liked it. The guy who plays Doc Holliday and the guy who plays Wyatt Earp are mm-hmm. just great you yes. know, character actors. They remind me of um, Westworld, you know, Yul Brenner and yeah. Westworld. You know, they have that just evil machine, that sort of fake, you know, there's a fakeness to them. And, you know, that they're sort of acting, but they've got that hard ass gunslinger look and tough talkingness to them that's it's awesome they're all sweaty <laughs> and and scurvy and and unshaven you know oh it's great and then you've got the checkoff love story yeah that part of it's a, a little <laughs> bit goofy i think that part's goofy only because kirk just kind of lets it go on and it, it seems like he would be a little more hard ass going you know, we're, we're in a life or death situation, you know, and you don't have time to be kissy-facing with this girl, and he just kind of lets check off. Well, I think that was a slip on Kirk's part. That's why he's so torn up. But remember, they're like, let it go, Jim. Yeah. You gotta let it go, and he wouldn't let it go, because he probably was like, ah, hey, you know, fuck it. If I was check off and I wasn't the captain, I'd be doing the same goddamn thing, because she's hot, <laughs> but I'm the captain, and I gotta focus, but damn, she's hot. Yeah, at least somebody's getting some, you know? I'm sure, and, and you know, and I'm sure that's why he was torturing himself is because he did let it. He did let it go, and he should when he should have been like, you can't play along with any aspect of this, you know. 
we can't so that let part him know where he goes we're... to the to the sheriff and and is trying to convince him and all that is hilarious. Oh yeah, that's like classic Kirk. He it gets is. really worked up. Yeah, <laughs> and I forgot, totally forgot about the scene at the end of it where after everything goes down and uh, and the Earps realize that you know uh, something's been pulled on them, then out of nowhere you see Kirk come running and jump up and do that two-footed kick to those guys. I, I laughed my ass. I was like, oh, that's cool. He, he he kicks him and then he, you know, punches him in the head and all that. Oh, I love well, it. There's, it there's some classic blooper reel that has a lot of takes of that of that whole jump kick thing <laughs> because that, that the, and there's a whole thing where he's explaining in one of his books where you know, that jump kick is a totally really, or no, I think he was saying it on one of his YouTube videos, is that jump kick is a totally useless move. When you jump through, when you jump up in the air, you know, and kick somebody, you have no forward momentum. So right. basically, you're you just, just fall on your ass. Yeah, you're pushing yourself off from him a little bit and falling on your ass. So they would have a rope tied to the stuntman, so when he would kick him, they'd yank him off so it looked like he got, you know, booted across the room. So there were lots of takes on that with, you know, with mistiming and and missed camera angles and stuff. So there's there's a lot of footage from this episode of people falling on their ass and and stuff. But yeah, but I mean, once they learn, yeah, I mean, there's there's several things that just like don't make sense. What one thing that I wonder about is that they refer to the like former United States of America or what was you or you know this was in what was used to be called the United States of America right so I'm thinking what's it called in in Kirk's age is there a United States of America or is it just Earth I don't think it is because I remember Picard visiting his relatives in France Right. So there's still countries. So you would imagine right. if and there's Chekhov still, still, you know, still the vote Russia, Russia. Yeah. That, so yeah. So I wonder, I wonder what if that was ever uh, addressed, or if it was just a reference that, that sort of got through. And um, and another thing is in the very beginning. Okay, they're going to to the the stated beginning of this mission. I watched this twice because I started thinking of this. By the time they were on the planet, I'm like, wait, what were they doing at the beginning? You know, did right. they, why, why are they in this situation? And what they were doing was going to make contact with the, with the Malkotians. So, right. so when they got there and the Malkotians were like, basically like, we don't want to contact yeah, you, fuck go off, away. Yeah. Why didn't they just fuck off? That seemed, would be the Starfleet thing to do is, is respect their desire for us not to pester them but we don't well i thought of that in a sense of not just starfleet orders i mean yeah that's a major part of it and i agree with you but not just the simple fact that that's probably starfleet orders is go make contact if they tell you to fuck off then just come home you know there's also the angle of god damn it does kirk not learn is this not the same setup as the beginning of the Corbomite maneuver? Uh-huh. They're flying along through space. They find a space buoy. 
Kirk fucking blows it up, and then they wind up in this situation where Baylock's going to blow up the Enterprise. It's the same goddamn setup. Yep. So why would he allow himself to get into the same thing twice by saying, oh, fuck this space buoy, and just keep going, you know? It yep. seems like he, he that might tickle the back of his brain and go, hmm, let me see, space buoy, warning to stay away. Oh, yeah, well, let's just go home then, because I remember this scenario. Yeah. He doesn't. He does the same damn thing. He just flies right by it. But, you know, that's a quibble, I guess. But, yeah, I, I thought of that, too, right at, the beginning, right at the beginning of the episode. You know, one of the things I think, uh, maybe on a subconscious level as I was a kid, um, that maybe took this one down a notch, and it, and it still stands out to me now. It's, it's really my only major nitpick with this episode. Uh-huh. This is one of the few Star Trek episodes that I think has a piss-poor score. I really don't like the music in this one. There's a harmonica it, at the very end. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the Waltons or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Work. Yeah, I, I, I know what they were going for was a, like a an amalgam of, of star, you know traditional Star Trek. And a little Old West. And a little bit of Western. Work. But yeah, it doesn't work. I mean... You know, something like uh, what Alan Silvestri did with Back to the Future 3. Now, that worked. They took the the Back to the Future themes and gave them a Western slant, and it works awesome in that. They gave them all that Aaron Copeland sort of sound to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it it totally doesn't work in this one. I really, really don't like the score, except the one moment I really liked, and I I caught it much better watching it this time, was... uh, when they walk into the bar for the first time, into the saloon, and uh, I don't know that you ever see a piano player, but the music there's is There's a piano playing. there, but there's no player there. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a haunted uh, haunted mansion version of Buffalo Gals, and it's yeah. really creepy. It's, you know, with with the being no walls and that really Twilight zone look to the episode, and then you've got that very weird distorted version of buffalo gals it was actually that part was actually kind of cool musically but the rest of the music in this episode i didn't really care for yeah i'll agree with you there and the dialogue in this one is sort of extra clunky but that sort Mm -hmm. of works in the weird scenario that they're in but i also thought it was really strange how they just sort of appeared back how they just sort of appeared back onto the bridge and they yeah. were just sort of, but they there wasn't a moment of everybody going, "Hey, I'm back on the bridge," and Chekhov going, "I'm back from the dead." They were all sort of sitting there as if like, "Aha!" You know, we've all just instantly figured out what's going on, and you know, yeah, that was a little weird. It uh, almost makes me wonder if they were running short. You know, if they, they did, they if they like, the there was a scene something. they couldn't use or something, or yeah, or they yeah. had to cut something for time or something. But that was a little weird and clunky. But generally, this is a great... It, it reminds me of the Twilight Zone. It, it relies on dialogue and, you know, just sort of ideas to propel the plot along. And it's got all the characters doing their thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to see... I love, I love that um, Scotty's just like, I'll try that out, you know, when they had to... <laughs> and Scott, He's great in this well, one. Scotty's... Scott, oh, yeah, because Scotty's like... You know, hey, I'm gonna try some of their old-fashioned rot gut, and he's just like, you know what? I kind of like this stuff, <laughs> right? Well, one of my notes was uh, was that there's no Mister Sulu in this episode. 
Yeah. And I can't help but wonder if that actually enhances Scotty's role in this. If, if maybe, you know, if Sulu had been in this one, it may have very easily been Sulu down on the planet. And I really like that, that we get to see Scotty shine in this one. He's part of the away team or, you know, landing party, I should say. And, uh, and he really gets some great moments in this one. He's, yeah. He really gets a chance to shine. I like that. I, I like seeing him, you know, be a more important player within the group. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. My last note for this one is I watched the, uh, the enhanced version. Me too. And man, the buoy looked awesome. Did yeah. you see that? I like that. Was, yeah. It was like it was made out of crystal or something. It was really cool looking the way it rotated and shone and all that. And then it, it would glow, and it was just really cool looking. Very I just, cool special effects. I just love the scene of the Enterprise flying up to the planet, and it's sort of a tracking shot across the bow of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a little bit of the dimension to it. You know, it's got a little more 3D beyond what the original series was. But that was it was great. It, it was really majestic, and it was a nice Enterprise shot, and it didn't come off as being too computer generated or too retro-y or it was just perfect Mm -hmm. i really like what they do with that show they really do a good job on yeah they do i have not seen any of the enhanced effects yet that that didn't work for me i haven't seen anything that felt like a like a star wars new hope moment where i was like you know felt like it jumped out and slapped you and then i haven't seen anything that looked like well, that was a waste. It didn't. It didn't look new at all. You know, it, there was, it's a perfect, perfect blend, and I'm really digging the enhanced ones. It's, it's at a point now where I don't know that I could go back and watch them in the original format. You know, it would, it would lose so much to me. I, I, I'm, I'm. I was thinking that the other day too. That I really like the enhanced versions of it, and it's like I could accept these. You see, if this is how George Lucas did Star Wars. He would have had a lot less problems with people going, Alex, because you know when they if they, if they make a 3D version of Star Wars, it's probably going to be the enha- the enhanced versions or you know or yeah. whatever, you know. So because that's what's going to be worked on, and people would probably be a lot less bitter about it if he'd done it like they had done this with Star Trek, because right, it, it, it's yeah, it's just very tasteful and very well done, and with that. Very well done. Since saying tasteful and very well done is this, this ir- living irony in our show, we'll be right back with, oh, what's next in our timeline? It's comic books. Yep, we're going to jump ahead just a few years in the Star Trek uh, timeline to the DC Star Trek. Hi, my name is Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, which explores the world of Superman and the many creators who have added to his legacy over the decades. Episodes will feature creator biographies or highlight some of their top stories they have created as well as their top characters. Other episodes will feature topics appropriate to the holiday or the time of the year. For instance, Valentine's Day will feature stories about the women in Superman's life, April Fool's Day will feature some of the bizarre Superman Silver Age stories or some of the imaginary stories that have been published. Halloween will feature some of the scary Superman stories or some of his strange transformations and, of course, some of the Christmas Superman stories. 
The website can be found at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com. The blog is supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com. And you can send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a spoiler-free comic book review blog of the titles I read every week, which can be found at my pull list blogspot.com and you can send email about this blog to my pull list at gmail.com okay we're back from break and we're going to jump ahead just a few years in the Star Trek timeline to DC Comics number nine. This is from shit. What month is this? This is December the night, the December nineteen eighty four issue. I really love the cover on this. It's uh, by Sutton and Villagran. It's uh, it's basically everybody. It's Kirk and Carol Marcus. You got Spock in his uh, burial robe. You got Chekhov, Sulu, Savick, Doctor McCoy, Uhura, and Scotty. And they're all just kind of looking off at something. Before you get started, though, doesn't the doesn't the little um, design down Spock's robe there look like you know like the artist has autographed this issue or something with one of those like gold pens? Yeah, it does. Now that you say that, yeah, that's yeah, the first it, thought whenever I look at it is like, oh, it's autographed. <laughs> nope, it, it does though. Yeah, it looks like that gold ink that some of the yeah. the artists sign them with. Yeah, you're right. Well, I like that it's, you know, the title on it is New Frontiers, but they put it right under the Star Trek logo. So it says Star Trek New Frontiers, and eventually, many, many, many years after this, there would be a whole series of novels by Peter David called Star Trek New Frontiers, which I have several of them. I still haven't read them, but somebody, uh, or a lot of people actually have told me that that's a really good series of books, so... Eventually, I want to uh, get to those and read those. They're supposed to be excellent. Anyway, this is written by Mike W. Barr, artist Tom Sutton, and Ricardo Villagran. And we start out, basically, if you listened to our special episode that we put out just a couple weeks ago where we uh, talked about Star Trek II and Star Trek III, this basically should start with a caption saying, The next day, because this is pretty much seems to be starting immediately after the events of Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. So we see uh, Spock is laying on a bed and someone is asking him, you know, do you remember your friend? You know, your friends are approaching. Do you remember them? And he says yes. And, but, you know, it's obvious right at the get-go that Spock is not the old Spock. He's, he's recovering. He's getting well. But it's going to take a while before it's good old-fashioned Spock. And there's a little bit of conversation between, you know, Kirk and crew and uh, Talar, who did the... Uh, the refusion of Spock's mind to his body. In the end, they decide they must leave Spock on Vulcan and, uh, and go and take care of business. So they leave him with his, you know, in the care of uh, physicians and his parents and everything. And they beam to their captured bird of prey, their Klingon bird of prey, and they decide that uh, that they have to take off. And at first, I really was hoping that that this was going to lead right into how are they going to, you know, because I'm really curious how this ends up reconciling between what we know eventually happens in Star Trek IV. I, I think they're going to have to really jump through some hoops to make those two stories 
sync up. So I kind of thought they were on their way to Earth, but they're not. In the meantime, Admiral Turner calls for Captain Stiles of the Excelsior and orders him to go and basically collect Kirk and crew and the captured bird of prey. And Stiles, of course, is only too happy to do this because he's a dick and he's got it out for, uh, for Admiral Kirk. So we cut to regular one space station where we find Carol Marcus, David's mother, uh, you know, the mother of Kirk's dead, now dead son, is crying her eyes out because she's got the news from Kirk, you know, that, that David had died. And Kirk and crew, they show up there, and immediately she slaps the shit out of Kirk. You know, she's really pissed that this is exactly why she took David away from Kirk, and they were living a whole separate life away, and she'd never told David about, you know, Kirk being his father or anything, because this is exactly what she feared might happen. And her worst fears are now realized, and she totally blames Captain Kirk, or Admiral Kirk, and she's really pissed off at him. So there's really nice character moments there and everything. Really nice character moment between Ahura, Chekhov, and Sulu, where they realize that, you know, their careers are kind of shot now. You know, they're, they're glad they did what they did for saving Mr. Spock. They don't regret anything. However, now it's time to pay the piper. I really like that scene a lot. And... We also get a nice character moment between um, Savick and Scotty. And in the end, Dr. McCoy is able to convince Carol to come with him. And they beam down to the Genesis cave where a ceremony is being held. Kind of sort of a funeral, but more of a memorial for David Marcus, uh, who died in the film. And in the end... Kirk and Carol have a moment and they kind of sort of half-assed reconcile. They at least come together for the moment to, you know, say goodbye to their son. And there's a really nice panel where we see regular one in the background in the space station and everything. And then we also see the Klingon bird of prey, but then you turn the page and it's basically the same shot minus the bird of prey. And we see the enterprise approaching the space station. And Kirk orders a scan of the station and everything. And then he orders Ahura to open a communication channel. And Kirk calls over and he speaks to Carol Marcus. At which point you're going, whoa, what the hell's going on here? I mean, the Enterprise is destroyed and what, what's, what's happening? We just saw Kirk talking to Carol Marcus. How is this all possible? And suddenly, after a little bit of conversation, Kirk calls for phasers to be locked on and fired at the station and he blows up the station killing carol marcus and there's some great exposition where he says that you know at last their plans are all in order blah 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 and on the very last panel we get the full reveal that these guys are out to conquer it says here there's another dimension ripe for conquest out there gentlemen after 15 years it's mine and we see that this is the Kirk and bearded Spock and the crew of the Enterprise from the alternate Mirror Mirror universe, and that's how the issue ends. And it was a pretty freaking cool reveal. Yeah, yeah, I liked how they. Uh, I liked the little switcheroo they did there. That was uh, had me wondering what was going on for for a little while. It's funny they got Spock's head buried in like this. <laughs> Like machinery in the beginning of it, so you don't see his. Yeah. So it doesn't. You don't see the beard and mustache. 
I have. Yeah, they keep doing that little uh, Austin Powers thing to hide his hide his goatee so that you don't uh-huh. see it. Yeah. You can sort of see it if you're looking for it, but yeah, when you're on first reading, I have one problem with this mirror universe already, though. What's that? The whole crew is there by by this time. Since the last time we ran into these guys, a few of them should be rubbed out by each other. Oh, yeah. Because they all had it out for each other. And if I recall, Sulu really hated Kirk. Really hated Kirk. Wasn't there one of them that uh, he had, like, put in a torture chamber or some shit like that? I think it was Sulu. I think they put Sulu in, like, the correction chamber or something. And I think Sulu had a big scar on his face from an earlier run-in. So, yeah. And he's back at, I assume that's the evil Sulu back at his helm. But now we got an evil Savick, too. Well, so I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but Spock in that very last panel totally looks oriental. I it's mean, not, he, he it's, looks like Fu Manchu it's, or something. It's, yeah, right, right, because it's he's supposed to have a goatee, not that big, long mustache. It's just supposed to be a... So it He was, looks like the Mandarin. That's who he looks yeah, like it from was, Marvel. It was it was more yeah he had more of a really a, oh what the hell was his name from uh, Dobie Gillis Dobie oh, Gillis he has that, more dude. of a Dobie Gillis type of goatee you know or, or Maynard G Krebs you know the the beatnik goatee that's what that's what the old Spock had instead of like but you know you know they that times have changed they have new outfits so they probably have new hairdos and and stuff. So, I think, yeah, I, you know, I mean, the Mirror Crew is just ripe for for use in Star Trek. And, uh, yeah, I think they're just, my, one of my notes is they're just never going to be able to reconcile this. And, you know, why even bother? Because there were going to be at least a couple years till the next Star Trek movie came out or, or right. so. So, you know, you just... Yeah, you just can't. You just have to go from there, you know. Yeah, and, you just kind of uh, have to roll with it. Yeah. But I like the writers. The writers really know the characters, and uh, they know their Star Trek because I I know you've got it as a note because I've got it as a note, and I know you skipped over it in your description of this this issue. But there's mm-hmm. no getting around it. They're singing the Star Trek song. <laughs> That scene with Uhura and Chekhov and Sulu bemoaning oh, their they? fate. Oh, I did, I did You didn't not even notice that? that? Oh, no, my. I well, did. maybe it's because I sang it. <laughs> and you didn't sing it, but I've sung that song. As soon as I saw Beyond the Rim of the Starlight. Oh, my God, you're my right. love wanders in Starflight. I know he'll find in star-clustered reaches. And then that's when Sulu breaks in. It's a whole shoot, show tune thing oh with him God. and her. Yep, they're singing the Roddenberry song, the Roddenberry lyrics, which it's really pretentious to think that would be a hit song in the 20s because this is a fucking awful song. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> not hey, to... but most of the music that they're into in the Star Trek universe, if you ever notice, <laughs> yeah. most of it really sucks It's bad. pretty lame, yeah. Yeah. It was even lame in the '60s type music. I mean, you know, on on some, it was either Next Gen or DS9 episodes, like Klingon operas, like a big deal, you know, and and you know they have like lame nightclubs and shit like, and Uh it's just really 
really yeah, bad. Yeah, whenever you hear music in the background, it's really bad syntho, weird Chizo stuff, or like other planets usually have either like African drummy stuff or new agey sort of harpy heaven like sound. Yeah. So, yeah, the yeah. only one of them that ever seemed to have any sort of halfway decent musical taste whatsoever was Riker because he was into like early 20th century jazz. Yeah, right, right. But that's just because that's just because the actor played saxophone himself, you know. Right. <laughs> so there you go. But that's about- I like this because it you know there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot to it. It it, it gave you what you needed without getting. You know, crazy or preachy or wordy or anything. It, it came in and it, it did exactly what it needed to do. It it, it said, okay, you know, it, it acknowledged the events of the movies and and told you exactly this is the direction we're going to go. We're going to tie up a few loose ends. We're going to acknowledge that Kirk and crew are now fugitives from the Federation. We're going to set him up with a little bit of uh, of an adversary, and then we're going to drop a big freaking bomb at the end with with the year, Mirror Universe stuff. And uh, and that was that, and I I'm excited for this. And the As a movie was fact, just I, out, so you know, I mean, it was for people who just seen the movie. This was probably just a nice little, you know, right? Catch up on what's going on. My my only beefs with this issue is that for one, the scene with the Genesis Cave. Now I actually like this much better, right? But the novelization, the Genesis Cave does consume itself exactly like the planet Genesis did. And there's a mention in here, something about there, there's an explanation given for why it didn't happen, but it comes off as kind of lame. So I'm almost wondering if the, if the author, you know, if Mike W. Barr was aware that what he was doing was going to contradict the novelization and was not so much explaining it away, but just giving us his reason for why he disagreed. You know what I mean? But it, it, it's a it's a minor nitpick, but I thought it worth pointing out. The only other thing is that, uh, wow, the art's bad in this. I well, really... Yeah. It's reminiscent yeah. of the movie ad- adaptation, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the faces are not bad, and every once in a while, the uh, you know, one of the ship shots will be really good. The general but, composition is is decent and interesting, but yeah, I think a lot of the problem with this is the coloring. I really don't like the colors in it. it it's way too like uh, like pastel-y or something. You know what yeah. I mean? It, yeah, it, it's not muted the way I think it, it needs to be. But uh, but yeah, I like this, and I'm excited to see where this goes because I. I I vaguely remember this storyline because I did read all these. I you know I collected these coming up. It wasn't until somewhere in the like late twenties, early thirties of these issues where I bailed. So I read all this. I just can't remember what happens, but I remember it being a, a pretty decent storyline. And also, it got me to thinking uh, as we got to the end of this with the big reveal. Now we hadn't yet uh, used the the computer to select the next episode. Oh of T, uh, TOS and I got to thinking should we for once should we forego the computer and maybe purposely go with mirror mirror to kind of refresh ourselves on the backstory of what's going to happen with these comics you think that's a good idea let's do it it's our show we can do whatever the goddamn hell well we please <laughs> 
I think that might be a good idea, only because that's... All right, I'm turning the computer off right now. Oh, okay. It's mirror, mirror. <laughs> yeah, it's never been one of my favorite episodes, so I'm not as versed in it as I, I will oh, need I to be. I always love that episode. This. Yeah, see, everybody else loves that one, and it's, I'm not saying I hate it or anything. It's just not one of my favorites. Uh-huh, so I, I'd to like be to be a little bit hot more... In it and sweaty. What's that? Or her gets to be all hot and sweaty in it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'd like to be a little bit more up to speed on the on the backstory of that yeah. one before into the the sequel stories, if, if you will. No, it'll work. And, it'll work well into the show. Cool. With that, you want to take a little break, and then we'll come back for the uh, the, the final next segment. generation. Yes. Sweet. And now, a quick sample from the soon-to-be-released next smash hit album from Demonsicore Records. Popular songs of 2285. Just take a listen. Beyond the rim of the starlight, my love is wandering in starflight. I know. Find in star-clustered reaches Love, strange love a star woman teaches I know his journey ends never His star trek will go on forever But tell him while he wanders his starry sea Remember, remember, remember me. That's popular songs of 2285, only from Demonsicore Records. Pre-order yours today. I have a petition here to stop the Space Channel from showing so much Star Trek. Could I please get your signature? What show? Star Trek. Look, look, look at the space schedule here. Star Trek the original, Star Trek the next generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Star Trek Voyager. It's all they play, and it's got to stop. Do they play Magnum P.I.? No, ma'am. They don't. They play Star Trek. The only people that watch this crap live in their basement and have no lives. They wear stupid costumes, go to conventions, and call themselves captain and stuff. It's got to stop, and will you please sign my petition? Well, I still don't know what you're talking about, but I'll get my son to sign for you. Gary, get up here, dear. He lives in the basement. Such a nice boy. Doc! Are you okay? I'm fine. Doha Jopadak Hasta! Charkum Raj! Get ready for more Star Trek. Coming this fall to space. 
next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Captain, our power systems are failing. A crippling force field sends the crew to a desolate planet where they encounter dangerous alien predators. Kill them. But a greater power threatens them both. You are accused of deceit and treachery. On the next exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. All right, in this segment, we're doing Star Trek The Next Generation, and this is, I guess, depending on whether you count, what number you count, this is the fourth episode of The Next Generation, The Last Outpost. Mm -hmm. And and this one we find the Enterprise is chasing a Ferengi ship who has stolen some, you know, frabblemats or piece of equipment off some (laughs) Starfleet outpost planet. And they chase them to this... This one planet, and when they get into orbit, they find themselves in a Mexican standoff where the Ferengi fire at them a couple times, and all of a sudden they've lost power to their ship, and and their memories start getting sucked dry out of their computer, and as they're trying to figure out what's going on, Picard, in the usual Picard style, figures the Ferengi have superior technology and does what Picard usually does. He surrenders. But it, when he's starting to surrender to them, they think he's he's setting terms for their surrender. So then they figure, oh, we're, we're both in the same boat. And they figure out it's the planet that's dra- that's draining their energy from both ships. And when uh, a, a group of Ferengi and a uh, away crew go down from the Enterprise, they find out the planet's an outpost of a, of a long-faded empire, which sort of puts the uh, Federation and the Ferengi in judgment as to as to what they're going to do with them. Uh, sort of very much like the Star Trek episode we talked about at the beginning of the show. Right. So, uh, so I this... have this image that the, that the, that the thing that you're going to make for this episode is like an old fashioned schoolroom where at the, at the head of the class, instead of like a teacher, it would be like a Malkotian or something and then, like, Photoshop two kids at their desk doing a test, except put the heads of, like, Kirk and, and Picard <laughs> right. on them. We, you know, with the words on the blackboard, like, test today or something like that. It's just the image I've, I've got in my mind for this. Because it is. Both both episodes are like, you know, an alien is material. testing the captain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, right off the bat, I would love if they would do enhanced versions of these episodes and somewhere down the road... After they do the, uh, okay, you know, we'll shift down to, you know, we'll throw it into into warp, warp nine, nine and come back fight. And I would love after they do that whole sequence and they get the, and it doesn't work, have C-3PO walk out and go, sir, I noticed the hyperspace motivator's been damaged. It's impossible to go to light speed. Because it's, and it really is reminiscent of that whole scene, I think, from, from Empire. Yes, it is. And, uh... <laughs> I was noticing a few things because uh, it's weird. I downloaded this episode. It came as an MKV file, which I couldn't figure out what the hell an MKV file is. Yeah. How do you play it? I've gotten some of those myself. I play it on VLC, which is what plays everything, but I think I need to update it because I can't go. I have to play the episode all the way through. Because uh, I found out with this one because I wanted to back up and I had to end up starting watching it from the beginning. But I think 
that this format is a high definition format. So when I was watching it, everything was crystal clear to the detriment of a lot of stuff. Like when when you were looking in the screen at, at um, you know space or you know the Ferengi or whoever was whatever was on the bridge screen, and you start looking at the bottom of it, you notice it's like carpeting. <laughs> There's like carpeting going up to the screen and around it. It's kind of you know it's kind of swanky '70s looking almost. <laughs> and it's weird. It's you could see that it was sort of a carpeted set, not like I would expect it to be some sort of future metal plastic amalgam, you know, sort of thing. And the floor would have some sort of rubberish grating on it to keep it, but not like shag carpeting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this, this, and 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 when it's funny when you were talking about the going from standing still to warp nine. There was another, you know, I don't mind when they talk about the flamorasters and, you know, routing the energy through. What if we want to route this through this and reverse the polarity on the Plinkelmeisters? And wouldn't that do this? But there's one point where Jordy says something like, blah, 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 0.300 milliseconds. Now, not to be like Mr. Math or Nerd, but isn't 0.300 milliseconds, isn't it just easier to say 0.3 milliseconds? Right. <laughs> this is the same exact goddamn thing as far as I know. I don't know. Maybe I'm an idiot. But that's... <laughs> no, I think you've got good... See, I think, actually, that's the fun thing about rewatching and rewatching shows like this is that I think you start to find stuff where you go, wait a minute. Yeah. That's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like the fucking I'm uh, no scientist, pyramid but... equation that that the uh, or whatever the triangle equation that the scarecrow spouts off at the end of the Wizard of Oz. It's total horseshit. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I think Star Trek does the same thing oh, a lot. For sure. But this is just a particularly <laughs> standout. If I if I'm picking it up from a scientific point of view or mathematical point of view, then you, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> but one of my notes is, hey, for once, Troy does something useful in this one. Yep. She's the one who points out that, hey, maybe, you know, you should start stop thinking about the Ferengi and maybe start looking at the planet. And so she's the sort of turning point in them figuring out what's going on. So I, at least I had she's... the same reaction watching this, but then a few minutes later, all the goodwill that she generated by doing that is completely blown because then she's back into fucking obvious mode because there's the scene after the daemon like clicks off the screen or whatever that everybody gives their little two cents and she goes he's hiding something captain i'm thinking i don't (laughs) need a fucking telepath to tell me that thank you very much now go sit down you know well you know she's gotta she's gotta say something because you know she's gotta look like she's useful i guess but right. she did break. She did break the whole planet angle of it in this one, so she was at least given something useful to do. But <laughs> this this has become my one of my favorite episodes right now. I like this one, and I can't figure out why. Because by all you. rights, I should hate this episode. Oh, really? But I don't. I really, really. I've always liked this one right from the beginning. But I mean, just a quick rundown on reasons. I ought to really hate this one. For one, the Ferengi are shit. I hate <laughs> the goddamn Ferengi. If we were it, high, it, if we were if these were like original episodes, we would have been doing Ferengi impressions. Like you, me, and oh, Randy yeah. would have been like had our arms up and been like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they remind me. They're just idiots. Of John Groff from yeah. High School. 
<laughs> it was this guy that we because the one very near the end of the episode <laughs> that gets all in Yar's face and he goes submit and he throws his arms up and he does this weird I don't know what the hell he's posturing. trying to do. It's like monkeys posturing. Sort yeah, of. he totally reminds me of John Graw from high school. When he every time I see that, I just laugh and I think, oh my god, it's well, the same dorky John kid. John Graw, just for the people out there, John Graw was t- sort of I don't know if he was tall or just skinny and lanky, but he was a skinny, scrawny guy with like moppy, moppy blondish hair. But he was like a little puppy. He was a spaz, you know. He was like. <laughs> Literally, like, when he was talking, he was hyperventilated because he was like, <laughs> and, like, bouncing around and just, like, goofy, you know? He had that goofy doodly doodly right. doo to his voice and and was running into things and tripping over stuff and was just generally, yeah, our icon of goofiness. <laughs> These Ferengi things, they remind me of, like, like, developmentally challenged kids all sugared up. You know, they're just they're they're fucking spazzy well, and they're so jumpy and oh man, their 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 species is such a caricature, and like you wonder how their species has survived and become the quote unquote badass or at least technically developed technologically developed because they're just like dealing with them person to person. They're just so obnoxious and so incredibly two-faced or and ingratiating and just so so ridiculously overblown they're way overdone but i enjoy i enjoy that aspect of it now because it's just they're they're ridiculous characters so you can sort of laugh every time like the thunder strikes and they all go and cower and well, see, you know, I did, I enjoy this episode despite them, not uh-huh. because of them. Yeah, because I I never warmed to the Ferengi. Because it's funny, because Armin Shimmerman is actually in this episode. He's the guy that would later on go on to play Quark oh, on okay. Deep Space Nine. Now, I've heard it. I've heard him say, you know, referred to in a lot of articles and things, saying that you know. Armin Shimmerman came back later and he redeemed the Ferengi and, and he did something with them and he turned them around and all that. With apologies to Armin Shimmerman, who I do think is a, is a very fine actor, I call bullshit. Yeah. I, don't think that, I don't think that the Ferengi were ever redeemed. I, I hated them from start to finish. I dreaded Ferengi episodes in every incarnation of, of Star Trek. I just think that they're an absolutely shit villain character whatever yeah. you want to call well, if you them thought, if you thought um what is what's his name Watto from Star Wars was a caricature overblown character these guys yeah. are way beyond that you know they're just like well all they did in in my mind anyway is they went from whatever the hell they're supposed to be in this episode and granted Armin Shimmerman you know yes he he chilled them out he calmed them down his his quark isn't all flippy and spazzy and weird and everything but he's very much like uh i don't know i think he's a bad stereotype honestly i mean you know me chris you, right. you know that i i You're not really politically don't correct guy yeah, or you I, don't well not i'm not not so much politically correct but like for example zero the hut from from clone wars everybody everywhere said oh you know he's a caricature of uh truman capote or you know, he's he's the gay kid. I totally, I still don't see it because I just don't think that way. 
Yet, when I look at the Ferengi as they will eventually be portrayed in Next Gen, and especially in Deep Space Nine, they're, right off the bat, it struck me, oh, these guys are a, are a parallel to the Jews. And if I was oh, Jewish, yeah. I'd be fucking offended by it, you know? Oh, yeah, I mean, well, I'm not, because it doesn't phase me one way or the other, but I mean, Jesus Christ, I, what, my point now, is, I if wish, I see it, other people must see it. I wish know? this was online. Maybe I'll find the magazine and actually scan it. But I read an article about this. This guy wrote, uh, you know, he was like, my friends and I were sort of joking about this one night while we were watching a Star Trek episode with the Ferengi on it. But then he started to he, he started to think about it. And he got some pictures from, you know, Hitler era, Holocaust era of, you know, pictures of that Hitler had, you know, caricatures of Jewish people and stuff and then put them side by side with the, with the Ferengi. Right. And, um, you know, and right down to the hands, you know, sort of, you know, pant- panting the hands together and twisting the hands and, and the nose and the ears. And it was, it, he, he put, he, he, it was sort of a comedic article, but by the end of it, you know, he, and he mentioned it himself, you know, he put up a pretty good argument, you know, by the end of it, he's like, I was doing this just as a joke, but now that I'm doing this, it seems like very apparent, you know. Yes, and I mean that's you. That's when I just when I saw this episode a few a couple months back when I was watching these all for the first time after many years. That was the first thing I thought. You know, it was just like, oh, jeez, you know. See, I don't think it stands out in this one. I don't. I don't think that comes along yet. But by at least by the time that we're introduced to Quark in the beginning of Deep Space Nine, yeah, by that point, especially that character in particular, yeah, I, I, it's hard to avoid it. it. It's hard to at least not look at it and go, hmm, maybe there's something to that theory because, man, they, they sure as hell act that way. And, you know, that's not... I'm not saying it to be mean. I'm saying it from an angle of I'm shocked no. that they got away with it for as long as they, well. they could, especially when there are so many um, Jewish people in very important media positions, you know, in Paramount and just, you know, through Hollywood in, in, in general, Star I'm surprised Trek. somebody didn't, <laughs> yeah, somebody didn't call them out on it and go, well, wait a minute, or, what are you doing with this? You know, is this supposed to be this? Also, well, it, the thing, well, if the characters didn't have like the noses and the whole like weird face thing that the, the sort of little swarthy guy sort of thing, then maybe you could say, well, they're just ta- they're not caricaturing the Jews. They're caricaturing they're, they're this character that has a lot of the bad traits that were attributed to the Jews. Right. Or something. Or you could say that but they were also attributed to whatever. It's sort you know, I mean I think the argument is the Ferengi are sort of, they're people of worship commerce over everything which is you know there's no way of getting around it that was one of the you know the stereotypes thrown at the jews you know started from whenever that <laughs> whenever that started but right. that and and uh yeah i mean now I, when i say i saw that as soon as i saw this episode i i immediately also thought to myself well i'd also read that article <laughs> right before i'd seen you know it was a while before I'd seen this up, but it's still, it was an article that, that stayed in my head that really like made an impression because right. it was so, it, it made its point rather well. So I think it's a valid argument. It, I really it, do. It, it's, 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 it's very possible. I wonder what the, uh, what the listeners think, you know, go back and, right. and watch us and, and, 
and see what you think. I just hope that they don't misinterpret what we've said that that we're you know being in any way racist or, or you know stereotyping because I'm not. I'm just saying that it, it, it if it makes that impression on me. It must be pretty freaking obvious because I just don't think that right. way. Those things don't normally occur to me when I view TV or movies. It just don't. My mind just doesn't go that way. So <laughs> I would think that it would really jump out to other people. But I see stuff like that all the time. But I, I, I look for stuff like that in the extreme in almost a comedic way. I like to pick things apart from every different racist, feminist, any kind of direction you can approach it at and see what because all that stuff turns up in our in our media you know it's all just whether it's conscious or not it all turns up in the media so it's always worth tearing stuff apart you know i i don't think it was right that lucas could just write off like when people complained about you know some of his characters in the in the prequels right you know? i don't i don't think he could write write that off he, you know you might say you know at best he might argue well I didn't mean for it to be like that but then you can also argue that like well then if you didn't mean for it still what the hell were you thinking in your subconscious right. when this happened but uh, all that so, so it's always worth approaching stuff from that angle now it's <laughs> I, now it's probably not worth getting yourself worked into a froth over it you know right that's, yeah that's, that's the other half of it yeah that's, definitely that's my my big point is it's it's worth pointing out unless something is like insidiously racist you know where it's doing it in order to try to stir up bad something or to try to cause you know people to cause harm to other people or something but right. obviously that's just not happening in star trek well, you know, when Star Trek did so much to advance other areas, you know, be it putting, you know, a black woman in such an important position of power in the 60s and things like that, you know, just everything else that went on, you know, it even touched on uh, the gay issue in, in later series and things like that. Right. So I, I, this time, I'm perfectly willing to give them the pass that they just didn't look at it and go, Oh my God! You know that that it just didn't occur to us. I'm perfectly willing to give them that pass. Sometimes you know, in, stuff in gets by, instance. man. I remember yeah. I remember sitting down to watch back in the '90s to watch the Disney Afternoon, as was my habit from getting home from work at four. We'd sit down and watch Disney Afternoon, and it would be you know whatever Darkwing Duck or whatever. And one of the commercials was for these like Tropicana Twister Pops. And they were basically these frozen fruit pops that looked like a that were roughly the size of a dildo, but they had a sort of corkscrew pat, you know, a sort of twist pattern in them. And it was all shots of little boys and little girls with their hands on the bottom of these things, shoving them in their mouth. But they were since they were a screw pattern, they would take their hand and like screw it into their mouth. So the 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 the. The movements and the things that were happening with their mouth and their hands and everything were directly mirroring any porno movie you would ever see. <laughs> Horribly, but it was like shockingly so because it's all with that, da 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 music and like bright colors and little kids. And I remember my roommates and I all sitting there, gape jawed, watching it, going, "Did you did did, did, did you see that?" <laughs> 
the, and then a half hour later, they play it again, and we're just like, "Holy shit!" It wasn't, you know, a mass hallucination. We did see that, and then we never saw that ad ever again right. after that because somebody figured. I mean, I, you know, and and you got to think, where in the process of all the people who scrutinize this shit does this stuff get? You know, does somebody not notice this out of all these people that these little kids are like performing sexual acts on their frozen fruit treat? You know, for for a dis for a Disney. <laughs> oh, it's just unbelievable! Oh my god! Well, some other things that you know contribute to reasons why I shouldn't like this one. Yet I do. Man, you hit on it with in your review. Picard surrenders again. And, you know, I probably sound so uh, so down on this guy, but I would really come to enjoy and really like Captain Picard. But it was a long, hard sell to come to like this guy. Because, for one thing, this is another episode. And, you know, I know now that it's not just me because I watched this tonight with the entire family over dinner. We watched this episode. And right out of the gate, one of my wife's first comments was, wow, he's really grumpy in this episode. Well, so see, it's not just me. He and is the other characters notice, in this. The other characters notice it, too. There's one part where he's talking where he and, you know, he and Riker always get in those weird conversations where they stand almost nose to nose and chest to chest right. and talk to each other. And at the end of it, he says something about, like, you know, I hope we don't have to take this to the blah, blah, blah. And Riker goes, what do you mean? And he goes, take this to the ultimate, you know, and right. something like that. And Riker, when he turns around, he rolls his eyes. He totally, <laughs> like, rolls his eyes like, Jesus Christ. What is it with this guy? Watch it again. You'll see. It's just he gives it this total look of, like, whatever, fucking Jean-Luc. What the fuck? And it was I mean, cracking me up. You, you'll see it. It's, it just cracks me up. He does this little turnaround, and as he turns around, you can see it. He does a little sort of like like a teenager would, a sort of roll of his head and roll in his eyes at the same time, and just, just this look on his face of, like, ugh, whatever, man. You know, take it you easy. Know. I like that scene and all, I'm largely because I really like the way the scene is lit and it's scored and everything. But ultimately, when you think about it, what it is, is it's another instance of Picard. You know, he's in a grumpy, pissy mood. Something's not gone his way. He calls a fucking staff meeting, asks everybody for their opinion. He can't make a goddamn decision. You know, everybody leaves the room. He has a little cry in the dark, is what I imagine. And then he comes out and he fucking <laughs> surrenders to the Ferengi. And I'm like, what the hell, dude? I'm like, Jesus, you're the captain. You know, step up. Of the flagship I mean, Starfleet yeah. ship. Now, I know that everybody's probably tired of the constant comparisons with Kirk, but I'm going to keep harping on this shit because it really bugs me that. Well, because Picard's just, got kids on the ship now. Yeah, but that. Even so, that doesn't prevent yeah. you from, from doing the things you, a, a basic captain would have to do, you know? I mean, he, he just readily surrenders every time something doesn't go right, and it bugs me. Also, at the end of the episode, I mean, they are literally, you know, P- Picard and the Doctor and the whole rest of the crew that's not down on the away mission, they just sit there and die, you know? They're... they're Basically, they're running out of, of whatever the hell, heat and, and oxygen, I guess, at yep. the end of the episode. 
I, I just, again, I realize the ship's in danger. They've lost power. Supposedly they can't beam down or whatever. But I just can't imagine Kirk doing it. What, wasn't there an episode where the, the, somebody cut off? Yeah, it was Khan. Cut off oxygen to the bridge. And Kirk struggled to the very last before he finally passed out to try to find a way out of the situation. Yeah, yeah the these guys just sort of lean back in their chairs and... Well, I guess we're doomed, yeah. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Although there is, there was one great consolation to that scene, though, which is uh, there was a scene a little bit earlier where Picard asked the doctor, uh, hey, how's Wesley holding up? And she says, you know, he's back in our quarters. I was going to sedate him, but I didn't. And he says something about, well, you know, a man should face you know death with his eyes open or some stupid thing. Well, at the end of the episode, when they're saved at the you know the absolute last second before everybody was going to expire and the lights and the heat and everything all come back on and everybody wakes up, the doctor's sitting next to the captain on the bridge. So she fucking abandoned yeah. her son right. to die alone in their quarters in yeah. the dark. And I, I just imagine where... This great scene where she's like, well, you know, crisis averted. So she gets in the turbo lift, heads back downstairs, goes to their quarters, and Wesley's like hung himself in a closet, yeah. you know? Whoops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, I like this episode because Picard actually swears in French. Yes! I Merde. pointed that out to, my, to my, my, my wife and kids. I said, he just said shit. And Scotty's yeah. like, how do you know that? I said, um... Because I know how to swear in French. Yeah. <laughs> he sure does. They they slipped that one by the censors even back in, uh, what was this, 87, 88? Slipped it by because it was in French, but he sure as hell does. He yeah. says shit. He beats Data the Punch by many years. And there was another, I have one last note here, and that was when they were down on the planet and um, the gatekeeper you know the none shall pass guy when he <laughs> manifests himself doesn't it look like i was just like uh oh it's the ghost from the ark of the covenant <laughs> it was yeah that total, when the, like when the they circle all around, around and, yeah. and they just fly by everybody it's like close yeah. your eyes and don't look at it well somebody needs to tell me who this guy is because very much like uh Groppler Zorn in very familiar. he is so familiar to me and every time I see this episode it drives me nuts. I should know who this guy is and I, I totally don't, but somebody's gonna point it out to me and I'll be like, Oh duh, that's right. I don't know, maybe it'll turn out he was uh he was Jaina from the Wonder Twins scene as how the other guy was Zan. Yeah. So <laughs> But uh yeah, I only have a couple more things real quick. I know it's supposed to be a little cutesy scene to remind us and everything, but how exactly did those kids get in the conference room? Because granted, I don't know the exact design of the Enterprise in every room and everything, but my impression was that conference room is directly behind like the science stations and shit on the bridge. So wouldn't those kids have had to come up the turbo lift exited from the bridge you know, onto the bridge and then gone to the conference room that way or is there some like fucking back way that these kids could come up and even if there is a back way is nobody fucking watching this back way to make sure that people just don't come up and hang out in the captain's conference room I guess it's one of those things you're not supposed to really 
think about because the episode's moving right along, but having watched this a zillion times, I can't help but notice shit like that. I thought this episode really holds up well with the graphics and the special effects. Yeah. That scene where they're doing the conference and it's got the little schematic that, that you know, the 3D thing with the planet and all that. I think I still think that looks really cool. 20, only almost 30 years later, I think it looks really good. There's a couple shots with the Ferengi ship where they're where they're maneuvering around with the Ferengi ship that look really cool too. Yeah, I think this one holds up. I think that holds up on on just about every level. You yeah, know, but especially the, the effects are really good and everything. But I do, you know, despite some really cheesy, goofy moments and, and a lot of plot problems and things like that, a lot of characterization problems. I, I still find myself digging this one. Every time I watch it, I, I like it. So, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good episode. And that's I'm about all I got. That yeah, that's about all I got, too. I think it's just... You're, this is a perfect prototype of your good, solid, next-generation episode. Yep. Oh, we've got plenty of turkeys coming up, though. It's not oh, like they're uh, out excellent. of the woods yet. So, you know, one of the, the next episode, though, uh, it'll be an interesting one, because it's been a long time since I've seen it... Uh, where no man has gone before, where, where no Wesley one Crutcher, has gone before. No one. I keep saying that, don't I? No one has gone before. Where uh, Wesley Crusher gets himself a uh, a very special friend, a buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and so join us for that, and join us in one week for Two True Freaks episode one hundred. <gasps> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? 
And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by DiManzo Core of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.